holiness, when I grew up, it, it seemed like such a complex uh, kind of thing. I, got, I used to tie myself up in knots uh, because um, preachers would say I needed to, I needed to somehow have this, this holiness experience that I wasn't quite sure what it was or how to get it. But I was thinking as, as there were those up front worshiping and as we were having a good spirit of worship that really holiness isn't hard. Um, we used to overthink it, I think. We used to tie ourselves into knots trying to figure out what this thing was. Uh, but as, as I was sitting there uh, in worship, I was thinking about um, uh, somebody who's studying to be a minister over at the seminary, and uh, she has to go before this ordaining board, this board that says whether or not you can be a minister or not. And, and they're going to ask her whether or not she's been made holy, whether she's been sanctified. And she was really worried about this because uh, she hadn't really grown up around, uh, it's, a, it's a Nazarene church, which is very similar to Wesleyan, and, and she wasn't quite sure, what, have I had this, this thing that they're telling me about? Um, and she, she asked this question to some of us, is it possible that, that I could have this thing and not know I have it? Um, and several of us immediately responded, yes, absolutely. This, this thing we're talking about, about God making us His people, about God making us loving, about God empowering us to love our neighbor as ourself. It's not something we have to tie our brain up in knots. It's something that God does naturally in the Christian, just as natural as those who are up here worshiping in the Spirit freely without thinking about it. They just came forward and were worshiping the Lord. This, this thing that, that the Wesleyan tradition has called holiness, we've, we've overthought it. It's easy uh, what does Paul say in Romans 10? The Word is right there in your mouth. It is near you. God is going to make us a loving people if we will just submit ourselves to Him. This is something that happens naturally uh, in our Christian walk, that as we walk with Christ, He, without us even thinking about it, makes us to be more loving people. Well, none of that was in my script. The people who are doing the PowerPoints have no idea what to do uh, because none of that was planned. But I just was thinking as we were worshiping and singing that this is not hard. This is not something, this series of the deeper life is not something that we have to think hard about or, or you know, jump on one leg three times and do a somersault. This is something that God does in every Christian just by walking with Him. He fills us with His Holy Spirit, and He empowers us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I, I know you'd be glad if we just dismissed right now or had an altar call right now. I probably will go on because I'm supposed to, uh, but that's really what these two uh, chapels have been about about opening ourselves to the power of God for us to be all we can be as a Christian because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, changing us and making us uh, to be more like Him. Well, now I'll go to the PowerPoint, so let's, let's pray, though, before we start. Uh, do you mind bowing your heads with me? Lord, may everything that comes out of my mouth be pleasing to You, and if it's not, make sure everybody knows it. Uh, help there to be something in their uh, stomach, their conscience um, that says, no, no, not that. Um, help everybody in here to leave feeling like they are empowered by you uh, to take the next step, whatever it might be, in their Christian walk. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, 
So on Wednesday, uh, the goal was to say that Christ has shown us how to live a uh, a holy life, and that it's not impossible because God's not looking for absolute perfection from us. He's looking for us to commit. He's looking for us to submit ourselves to Him. So today, we want to talk a little bit about what that looks like. What, it, what might it look like in my life to let God take over uh, and, and take control? It seems to me that there are two kind of aspects to us as believers being holy. The first uh, and I made up a word, is holiness as being godified. Okay, now Batman is not holy probably, um, but um, there's this scene, I don't know if you've seen the most recent reboot of the Batman movies. Uh, the first one, Batman Begins, um, uh, Morgan Freeman is showing Christian Bales this thing he calls memory cloth. And if he puts an electric current through it, it takes the shape of a glider uh, so that Batman can kind of glide, you know, off buildings. By the way, don't try this, you know, uh, when you get back from break, you know, off the dorm. Uh, apparently, some physics students have done the math, and it really doesn't work real well. Uh, so, but anyway, this idea that um, when he touches it, it, it takes on the shape uh, of, of a glider. Well, I know this is a strange thing, but I think there is a sense in which when God touches us, we become godified. We become, we take on a certain kind of, 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 of shape of God. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm obviously a nerd, but I think of like force fields in Star Trek. You know, so, some, suddenly, by God touching us, we come within the force field uh, of God. Now this, before you think that I'm just making this up, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has a really interesting verse, verse 14. It says that um, it doesn't say to go out and try to marry someone who doesn't believe, but if you happen to find yourself married to someone who is an unbeliever, don't, don't divorce them just because they're an unbeliever. Paul says, for the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse, and the children are made holy by that connection. Now, this is, this is a strange verse in our modern worldview. We want to make it into, well, of course, the believer, the believer is influencing the unbelieving spouse, and the children are, are influenced. And of course, of course, that's all true. But in, in, in the biblical times, they thought of both sin and holiness as being contagious, that just by touching the holy, you become holy, and also by touching the unclean thing, you could become unclean. Paul says in some strange way that an unbelieving spouse, by being touched by the believing spouse, they get holified, they get godified. There's something, this is something we don't really know what to do with. It doesn't fit in our modern uh, kind of paradigm or way of thinking. But there is an aspect to holiness that we talked a little bit about on Wednesday, that when God is touching us, we are more immune, as it were, to the power of sin. We are in the force field somehow. Now, Paul, here's the interesting thing. Paul doesn't say that the unbelieving spouse is going to be saved. He says they are made holy, and yet you don't know if they're going to be saved. This is bizarre. We've never even, I mean, this is not the way we think. But in some way, um, being when God touches us, we, the, the cape goes out, and we are, in some strange way, sin has less power even over the unbeliever who is touched uh, by, by the believer. So, that's one aspect 
of, of holiness when it comes to us being Godified. There's another aspect, and that's living Godified. That's, so there's the being part, but there's also the living part, and that's what I especially want to talk about today. Let's go back to that uh, passage in 1 Peter uh, that we looked at also uh, on Wednesday, but now let me give you a little bit more of the passage. Do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had when you were in ignorance. Instead, as He who called you is holy, so also be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So this is the second part, the living part. There's the being part. This is the living part. We can live holy. What does that mean? I mean, our, our first reaction might be there's no way. There's no way that I can live holy. And I hope that Wednesday began to address this sense of an impossible standard <clears throat> that we can never meet. <clears throat> Excuse me. God is not looking for us to be absolutely perfect. He's looking for us um, to, to uh, it, because He's more focused on our intentions than He is upon our absolute standard. But there is a very, very important caution here, a very important caveat, and that is, is that we cannot do it in our own power. We are not able uh, to do it in our own power. And let me um, uh, reference somebody who's not a Christian, and that is Yoda. So Yoda would say uh, that we cannot try to be holy. We cannot do it by trying. Now, I don't really like this saying. I always find it annoying. This is from Empire Strikes Back. I always find Yoda annoying when he says do or, or do not. I mean, what does that even mean? Uh, does that mean that if I… I mean, it sounds like I just have to try even harder. Well, there's just some things I'm never going to be able to do. I, it's a lie they, they've told us, you know, that you can do anything you put your mind to. That's just false. It's not true. Um, I, one of you out here, I don't, know if, I don't know if you're here today, but I know a student who can run a mile in under five minutes, and I hate him. Um, if you're here, you know who you are. Um, I, I came within about a half minute of that when I was in the 11th grade, and never, never since, and it's not going to happen. I know no matter how much I train from now to the, to the day I die, I will never break a five-minute mile. So this, this statement does me no good at all. I try not to run a five-minute mile. Just do. Not going to happen. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about Yoda a little bit, uh, as you do when you're preparing a sermon, and, and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe there's better theology here than I thought. <clears throat> maybe what Yoda is telling Luke Skywalker is, is that he can't actually do it, that he can't actually do the things. He does not have the power to try to do the things that he's being asked to do. Maybe he can only do them if he gives up trying and submits himself to the force. Maybe only the force uh, can do these things. Maybe he can't do these things. And I thought, okay, well, I can live with that. That's good theology as long as we change where we see the force and we put the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be holy, but not by trying. I always thought, you know, the preaching I heard as a child, you know, to be holy, it, all I heard was try harder, try, 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 try to be holy, try to, try to do the, what, the good that God wants you to do. And, and whenever I heard those sermons, I just felt worse about myself. I've got to try, try harder. But maybe, in fact, it's not about the trying. Maybe it's about stopping trying and letting God take over, kind of like what I was saying at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is not something we try to do. 
It's something that we let God do in us. Um, God is not a hard taskmaster. God is not a, a, a legalist. Uh, God is not looking to you know, shoot us if we get out of line. God is our Father, and He's a good, good Father, and He will walk with us and empower us to do the good uh, that He wants us to do. Okay, so what, what does this look like? What is it going to look like? Well, there are two things that Jesus said when a young man came to Him and asked Him what the Lord required of Him. And the first one, you know it from Matthew chapter 22. Uh, the first thing he said was, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. So to, to be holy as God is holy, first of all means to love God with everything we know to love God with. Now, again, this sounds like an impossible task. Um, but remember, again, God is not looking for absolute perfection. So, for example, you know the movie Inside Out? You know, there's some parts of our life, our memory, that have fallen into the, the vast pit of forgetfulness. We, we couldn't bring them up if we wanted to because we've forgotten them. Uh, we don't know the whole inventory of our life. We're not that self-aware. I don't know every aspect of me. Some of you know aspects of me that I, I've denied. I, I, do, I just, I, I don't accept them. I'm sure my wife uh, would, would tell you things about me that I'd say, no, that's not true. Um, and of course, since she's not here, I'm right. Um, but you see, there, there are always parts of our life that we're not aware of. We're, we're only aware of the top of the, of the iceberg, even ourselves. We're not self-aware of all the deep, deep stuff uh, that's, that's uh, in our lives underneath. Um, our lives, uh, again, we have a, I'm a Harry Potter family, um, and so uh, uh, you may, those of you who know the Harry Potter movies will know the Room of Requirement. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there. There's no inventory of the Room of Requirement. Uh, you never know what you're going to find in the Room of Requirement. It's kind of like my house. I have an attic. I have a basement. I have a garage. I don't even know what all that stuff is uh, that's cluttered in there. There are things I've been looking for for over 15 years that I still haven't found that are probably hiding in some nook or cranny in my attic or basement or, or garage. We can't know everything in our lives. We just can't. When I was um, uh, doing my doctoral program, uh, I was in England, and uh, I was at a college that, that what they'd done is they'd taken a row of houses from the 1700s and torn down walls and created a dorm out of it. It was like a maze. I loved it. It was a fire trap. Uh, it was really, it was death waiting to happen. Um, and uh, they, I was kind of like an RD, which was a mistake, and they, uh, they had me as the fire person. Total mistake. Um, I have no practical skills whatsoever. Uh, and so when, whenever somebody would set off a fire alarm, which often happened on a Friday night, you know, these were any, anyway. But uh, so uh, there would be fire alarms. My job was to go to the office, find out where the fire alarm had gone off, and then go and see if it was a real fire, which it almost never was, uh, and then call the fire department and tell them not to send everybody, just send, you know, the, the one truck and, and we'd be done with it. But that place had all kinds of nooks and crannies. Uh, there was this, my favorite was a stairway that ended in a wall. Uh, so, you know, you'd go up the stairs and then there's a wall there. Um, and it seems like they changed it every year. So like one year you'd be able to go up the stairs and then the next year there'd be a wall there. Um, I love this. This was a, this was a boy's dream, um, you know, just to run up and down in, into things. Um, but 
nobody, you know, there, there might have been some people who knew where all those tunnels went, but we will never be aware of everything that's in our house. We will never be aware of all the stuff. God's not looking for an inventory of everything. God's looking for us to commit the whole house to Him. He's looking, as some of the old holiness pastors used to say, He's looking for us to sign the title deed to our property over to Him and say, whatever you find in here, and there's stuff in here I don't even know, but whatever you find in this house, I've committed to give it to you. Stuff's going to come up. You're going to find stuff in your life that you, 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 you forgot was there, and it's going to be a source of temptation. Uh, so you're going to be you know, milling around the attic of your life one day, and you're going to find something that used to tempt you, and you're going to forget that that used to tempt you, and it's going to be an opportunity for Satan to tempt you again. Um, you can't anticipate. Uh, some of us, I hate to say, are going to face times of suffering in our life. I'm glad God doesn't tell us these things ahead of time. You know, we're, we're going to face hard times. We don't know all the hard times that we're going to face. And so it's, it's not that we can anticipate everything in our lives. It's that we've made this basic commitment that no matter what comes up, I have surrendered it to you. Wherever it comes from, it's yours, Lord. Um, and and there'll be, we'll have to keep making that recommitment. Uh, when, I, when I was growing up, they treated this whole dynamic as if you go to the altar once and then it's bam, it's done. But this is, this is a lifelong process of surrendering and resurrendering. And new people will come into your life and you'll have to surrender them. And people will leave your life and you'll be, you'll be devastated by it and you'll have to surrender that. And so we're looking for a lifelong relationship with God in which we have made this covenant with Him that it's all His. Everything is His and He can have it. Of course, the real, the real dangerous part is not the stuff we don't know about. The, the dangerous part is the stuff that we do know about, but that we hide. We, we don't want to give that uh, part uh, to God. That's the, the really scary part. Um, so, um, you all know Harry Potter. Uh, when the first movie starts, he's under a stairway, Right? Little little nook. It kind of looks fun, like some place you might actually want to have a room, at least uh, for a few uh, a few weeks. Sometimes we have little secret spaces in our life, little hidden places in our lives that we don't want to give to God. Those are particularly dangerous areas of our lives. Now, it might be some little thing. We might say, "Well, this is just a little room in my life that I don't want to give God." This is just a little thing, and, and maybe it is a little thing at first, like a little drip of water. But you know what? Little drips of water over time uh, can break dams. Um, that little drip, 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 you know, over time wears at our relationship with God. It tears down. It becomes a big thing uh, over time. So this, uh, this college I was in England, uh, it, it, the, the house is, like I said, dated back to the 1700s. So when, when you go in the front door, there used to be these stone steps that bowed. It was, it was fascinating. You wonder, well, what caused those? Because this is really strong stone. And you might say, well, what, what made that stone bow? You know what it was? 300 years of people walking up it. I mean, that just blew me away to think of how just people as 
as small of weight as me, I mean, people who aren't very heavy at all, you know, walking up those steps year after year after year, just little steps, little steps, made that those, those con- very solid stone steps actually bow over time. And so it is with the little things in our life, that if, if we do not uh, allow God to have the little things in our life, then over time they become big things. And before you know it, our relationship with God is in danger because we've not surrendered the secret hidden spaces uh, of our life. Now, some of you have oversensitive uh, consciences, and so I, wanna, I want to be clear that um, uh, sometimes Satan can use our consciences as a weapon against us. So I don't know how many people, when they heard sermons about giving everything to God, convinced themselves that they had to go to Africa as a missionary. That was, that was you know, like one of the ones, well, if, would you be willing to go to Africa if God called you to Africa? If you're not willing, then you're not entirely sanctified, you know, and, and we, would, we would get ourselves into this kind of psychological knot. Well, uh, I don't really want to go so, to such and such a place as a missionary, but, but uh, Lord, I don't really want to go there, and maybe God's not even calling you there as a missionary. Uh, but, but people used to work themselves into uh, a kind of knot uh, where even though God wasn't telling them to do something, they thought, well, if I don't give that secret space to the Lord, I'm not going to, you know, be able to be in good relationship with Him. God is not uh, a torture master. God is not someone who is, who is going to try to find uh, the worst possible thing that, he, you know, He's going to make you eat liver. You know, if you really loved me, you would eat liver, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I don't know. I don't want liver to come in, in between me and God. I mean, Satan does these kinds of, of, of crazy things. And so, you, we all have to remember that we have a good, good Father. It's who He is. It's, it's who He is. He's, he's not a torture master. But if there is a part of our life if there is a secret compartment of our life that we're not willing to give Him, that will eventually erode like the drop of water, like the steps going, the, the feet going up the steps. Over time, that will erode our relationship with, with God and eventually may become a very, very, uh, very big thing. You know, you know, there's a verse in the New Testament that to me sums up this whole idea of loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and it's Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says that whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, to where my whole life is oriented around what will give God uh, the most glory, what will most bless God in, in my life. Sometimes we can have a tendency to think, you know, what is the right thing and what is the wrong thing? We can get into a legalistic kind of mindset to where the question we're asking is, is this right or wrong? But I think a better question is, does this please God or not? Is this the best I can do uh, for God? A teenager once uh, came up to me and said, how far can I go with a girl before I go to hell? Um, Which was an interesting question. I wasn't his youth pastor, he just, you know, uh, anyway, but he, he said, well, how far can I go with the girl and, before I've gone to hell? And in my kind of uh, mischievous way, I said, you've already done it, um, because his question was not, what would most please the Lord? His question was, how much sin, how much evil can I do before 
God will, will punish me? That's the wrong question. Now, hopefully he's not going to hell. Um, it, was, it was me being myself. But, it, but the, the, the idea is, is that the question we should be asking is not how much evil can I get away with, but what kind of a life can I live that will actually most glorify God and most please Him? That's the question that a person who loves the Lord with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength uh, will ask. Well, there's a second part to that Matthew 22 uh, quote. You know it. So the first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second part of Matthew uh, 22 is, you will love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. I tried to word that carefully. It says, choose to love others, because you can't have a loving feeling toward everybody. I just don't think that's possible, and thankfully, God isn't talking ab about feelings here. I believe that God is talking about our, our choices, the choices that we, we make, because there are going to pe be people in your life that you just don't enjoy being around. You just don't really like them, but you can still choose to be loving in your actions and in your behavior and in your, your thoughts toward them. Um, you all know the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, uh, what do I have to do in order to be saved? And Jesus says, well, have you kept the commandments? And he says, yes, yes, I keep all the commandments. Um, and and uh, one of the ones that, that Jesus says is, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he, then he says, ah, but who's my neighbor? He's trying, he's trying to say, ah, I can love those who are my neighbors, but who's my neighbor? Because that guy over there, he's not my neighbor. I don't have to love him. Um, and Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know, uh, I think, if you've had New Testament survey especially, uh, that Samaritans and people from Judea, uh, Jews, did not really get along real well together. They didn't, they, you know, they were, they were kind of hostile uh, toward each other. And so when, when Jesus picks a Samaritan as the good guy in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's basically saying, you want to know who your neighbor is? It's the person you don't want to be your neighbor. That's your neighbor. Everybody is our neighbor. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says uh, that we have to love our enemies. If we only love our friends, we're no better than anybody else. Every, you know, even evil people love their friends. But God loves the whole way. God sends sun and rain not just on good farmers, God sends sun and rain even on bad farmers and evil uh, farmers. And so, uh, Jesus says, be perfect, be complete, go the whole way, the way your heavenly Father goes the whole way. Very similar to be holy as I am holy. And so, Jesus is not looking for us to feel and have warm fuzzies toward everybody. There are, there are people who we're just not going to have warm fuzzies about. Um, and some of this has to do with not putting ourselves in a situation where we just can't act lovingly. Uh, I, I had a colleague, he's retired now, but I was convinced that sometimes he kind of avoided me because he was afraid he would say something he would regret uh, on certain days uh, if he were to come near me. Sometimes loving others means not putting ourselves in a situation to where we won't be able uh, to control what we say uh, or, or what we do. But it's not about feeling. I like to think of it in terms of a choice A and a choice B, that when I have a clear-cut choice between A and B, and I know what the loving thing is, uh, and I know what the loving thing isn't, 
that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will empower me to do the thing that is the loving thing. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's no temptation that's beat you out, but that isn't common to humanity. God is able. He will make a way for you to endure, to, to hold up under that temptation, that you may be able to bear it. God is with us. Uh, it's, it's not that we have to try to do this. He wants to empower us uh, to do this. And so we can, by God's grace, make that choice. Sometimes the, the loving thing isn't always to give a person what they want. You've probably heard the expression that love must be tough. Sometimes the loving thing is not to give a person what they, uh, what they want. Love is a, is a many-splendored thing. It's a complex thing. But all of the footnotes aside, God wants to empower us when we have a choice between A and B uh, to do the thing that is the loving thing. Well, as we close this uh, Cox Deeper Life um, series, I want to challenge you tonight, not tonight, I want to challenge you tonight, but I also want to challenge you right now um, to, to these two things, to love God and to love your neighbor. As far as God is concerned, I want to challenge you to give God all your property. You don't know what, what all's in that house and what's going to be in that house, but I want to challenge you uh, this morning to commit to give your property uh, to the Lord, and I want to challenge you to choose by God's grace and power to do the loving thing. And I want, I'm going I'm to close in prayer now, and I want you, uh, if you're willing, uh, to stand in commitment uh, to these two things while I pray. Um, and, and I want you to think about it as you, as you go away this week and ask these two things. Have I given God the title deed to my property? And am I committed to loving my neighbor and enemy as myself, even when I don't feel like it? Um, so let's, let's pray. Father, right now I want to um, recommit myself to these two things. And uh, everyone here, I hope, is going to also commit to these two things, if they haven't before or if they have, to recommit these two things. First of all, all, Lord, right now I give you my property. I give you my life. I give you my house. I sign over the title deed. I commit myself to give you everything that is in this cluttered, messed up house that is, that is me. I give you everything. I sign it over. Whenever you find something in my house, I will give it to you. There are no hidden rooms that are off territory to you. I give everything to you, Lord, right now. And I also commit myself right now to do the loving thing, even when I don't feel like it. Uh, even today, maybe later today, when a circumstance arises where I don't want to choose love, I pray that you will empower me to do it. Please empower me. I commit myself uh, to as much as is in me to choose to be loving when that choice comes. We can only do this by your power, Lord. We can't try. And so we ask by your Holy Spirit that we may do these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.